0: welcome back to the race brothers podcast good to be here on uh moving into in the thursday of Parshas Vaishlach. and it's good to be here with you yakov so just this morning i was thinking about that in uh in Chamishi of Parshas Vaishlach, rifka imenu dies and, and it kind of hit me very sad. Like the Torah doesn't even say it openly that Rivka died because it kind of was like hiding it because nobody was there for a funeral. Yitzchak was blind and couldn't leave the house. Yaakov was on his way back from Haran. And Esav, they didn't want to invite him because they said if he's the only one to bury her, then it's going to be like, people are going to be like, oh man, this woman, like this is what she gave birth to, to an Esav. So in middle of the night, the beneches from the neighborhood took her and buried her in Ma'ara Samach And that, that really hit me very deeply. So this little candle that's burning up over here behind my shoulder is actually, is actually for Rivka Imenu. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing her, Bez Hashem, you know, whatever that might be, whatever that experience might look like with Tchia Samesim. But I'm looking to get a big hug. L'chaim. May Neshama have an Aaliyah, and may her light shine bright for us.
1: I mean, yeah, I wonder. It's very interesting. It brings out a very uh, interesting insight. I wonder she was more alone than all of the other avos and imais. it seems like.
0: Yeah. I
1: mean, Yitzhak yes,
0: we- was... She didn't have the open relationship that uh, you know that, that Avram and Sarah had, where they were talking about different stuff. Like Yitzchak, <laughs> they weren't even communicating about their kids really that much. Completely different opinions on their own children, and
1: yeah, and you point that out to me a very interesting uh, Nitziv mm. that describes that uh, when the Torah describes Rivka's first meeting with Yitzchak and how overawed she was by his presence very powerful
0: yeah um yeah that she fell off the camel she came she saw she saw Yitzha coming back from Be'er Lachai and out in the field doing a spot us and it was such an intense experience and then it says it was such an intense experience all building this up that you know that she shouldn't have the open relationship to the point that it would be like an uncomfortable thing and they, you know, that way the whole, all the brachos would come out. Because could be if they spoke about it, Yitzhak would convince Rivka about his truth about Esav. <laughs> the funny thing that Siv says that if she would have gotten to the house of Avram first, Avram would have welcomed her in and made her feel so at home. It reminds me of our Abba, you know, like. <laughs> comes in let me make you a coffee let me do all this and 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 all that and and like and then she would have seen Yitzhak and Yitzhak looked just like Avram so she would have been like really comfortable with him she would have been like but this way she bumped into Yitzhak who's like Yitzhak, super intense guy out there in the field doing his his boat and like super intense and and she her first her first you know her first bit of relationship made created a reality that was just intense forever I mean how many people do we have that with, you know, that you bump into somebody and if you bump into them in an interesting situation, that kind of first impression gets, gets lodged in there. And then we're running on that programming for years and years.
1: Yeah. Interesting. And then she was alone. Her husband was blind and like, it must've been like, he uh, was very holy man. But when you're blind you're kind of more cut off from the world and Asa was gone doing his thing and Yaakov was gone in Haran for 20 something years and he didn't make it back for her funeral it's really sad
0: yeah and the Torah didn't even want to openly talk about it it's really sad I, I was like almost when I was learning it this morning I was, I was like feeling so sad for, for Rivka really wanted to be there by that Leviah
1: Well, you know, that's, uh, that's rough. You know, it's interesting. You start to, talking about Asov and uh, being out of the house and being disconnected and disconnected relationships. We just watched this uh, news report from, uh, on Israeli TV about how many kids from the Haredi community are are leaving, are leaving the community and leaving uh, Torah life. And um, it was a very, very powerful, very powerful uh, report. And they described how something like 3000 kids a year are leaving the community, but even more now throughout this uh, COVID crisis, kids are just streaming out. And their families are cutting them off, and these kids are totally disconnected from family and from religion. I don't think they're disconnected from religion; much more disconnected from their family. Maybe outwardly they look disconnected from religion, but I don't know how much they really are. It's hard to disconnect all that right away.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I this is something that we definitely wanted to talk about today, and. And it, it is an interesting thing, but khla, the whole, the whole sugya of like off the Dara, you know, searching, trying to find a, a real relationship. This is something that I know that it's been a, a topic of conversation since uh, for me, like my whole life, this is something that's always been something that's a real conversation of, you know, Yiddishkeit, what does it really mean to me? What does it mean to an individual? Um, why do what, you know, What what is the whole phenomenon? like? The truth is that growing up, and you, and I think it is a disconnect from religion, to be honest, um, that these kids are having. Whether it's a disconnect in the fact that they're, you know, m- maybe when we're doing something against Torah values and we're trying to fight against it because we're trying to find ourselves, and therefore, you know, you might say that's very connected because you're still alive with it. But I think that there's th- there's a lot to to religion and to being stuck in a box and to being to being forced into an external reality that we haven't bought into. Um, you know, growing up, if you're at any point, kids, kids are all going to go through this stage where you, you're brought up and you're brought into a certain zone, and into a certain arena and we're living that life. And at some point, the kid begins to say, I want to be myself. What is myself? Who am I? And how do I fit into the story? And as you begin to get hit with different questions, um, life itself is is, is, is is a great question. And it's a it's a tough question that we're bumping into. You know, what, what am I living for? I'm not sure how many teenagers though, and maybe we can, we can thresh this out. How many teenagers and how many people that are, are, are hunting are searching for meaning or they're just not bought into what they're living? Um, I know for, for some people it's, it's a search of meaning of like, why am I doing this? I don't wanna do this. And, and they, they see, let's say the hypocrisy between the externalities of keeping to a certain set of rules And and system when I don't know why I should do that. And then you have the other side, which is just simply, why should I live this life? I want to just go enjoy my moments. And why are you telling me to do this? I don't know. There's a lot going on here. And I have a lot, a lot of thoughts about it. Well. I think, uh, you know,
1: one, one, uh, one of the kids in the India uh, was, was interviewed in this piece, and she described how during COVID, when she had all this time in her hands, somehow she managed to get out and would go to a library and start reading, and she said, there's so much information out there that was kept from me. There's so much of the world that was kept away from me. I wasn't allowed to know all these things, and suddenly I was so curious, I needed to, and... And I was so angry, like they hid all this from me. And when people are hiding information from you, it really makes you question the validity of what they were selling you. Because if what you're giving me is so good and right, so then why'd you have to hide all this from me? Obviously, because if I had access to all this information, I wouldn't buy what you're giving me. So there's something, it must be something wrong or untrue or lacking in what you have to offer.
0: So, so I wonder if, if that's really the case, like in all the off the direct, so to speak, people that are, are let's say, hunting, I, that was an interesting thing. And even to me, like in my own life, I definitely went through a, a big searching period and trying to figure out what Hashem means and what Judaism means and what's the purpose of, of, of life and, and all of that. But I didn't, I, I didn't grow up in an overly sheltered environment. I grew up in a in an environment that was, you know, no matter what, wherever you grow up, you're going to be within a certain um, bubble, right? Wh- whatever you grow up in, you could grow up as, I mean, you can grow up in any in any environment. You're going to be in that environment. That's what you're learning. And then at some point, you could begin to expand beyond the, that environment, and you're not necessarily going to have this issue of fighting against an environment, but with some people i guess in in the in the ultra right wing the extremist haredi system you have people where they are sheltering them big time from 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 the whole world you know and then and now maybe with corona there's suddenly so much time on people's hands and they're slipping through the cracks maybe when you have you know a lot of kids in one home and the parents can't even keep a track of all of them and so then they're kind of slipping through but even so to me that i'll be honest with you that seemed interesting to me i was like huh Like your mom is so disconnected. You're so out there um, because there's a lot of people that are not so disconnected that also are having issues with Judaism. And they're also searching for truth or they just simply want out. Like there's, there's, there is something to talk about here.
1: It's true. But even people aren't so disconnected very often. Any questions that you have, you bring up, first of all, they're afraid to bring up um, questions that they have uh, contradictions and issues they have in life. They're afraid to bring it up because you bring up those questions, you're labeled already someone who is, uh, you know, you're you're a keifer, or you're you're a heretic or you're you don't really believe, and it's and and people and that's really what happens when people don't have answers and they're afraid to not have answers. So they right away say, you know, this is not a subject, this is not a something we, we could talk about, or we're not allowed to ask these questions, or and that's a very very common experience. And when you do have those questions and you get shut down, whether it's explicitly shut down or implicitly shut down because you feel like there's not space to ask the questions that you have. And then you go out and see, well, there are people discussing all these things and they have all different conclusions and most of them are not the way I was raised. So that can really, really uh, shake a person out from. You know, from just remaining in the way they were or remaining in their community could really knock them out.
0: Right, so I'm not sure how and, many people are actually discussing a lot of these questions. Like, like which questions are we referring to? Meaning the question of how to live life. Yeah, there's a lot of different opinions on it, but the questions of purpose of life and purpose of meaning and value systems.
1: No, no, I'm not talking hmm. about the deep questions of life. I'm talking about simple things, many subjects which we come across in life, all kinds of subjects. Whether a kid is going through puberty has all kinds of questions because their body is changing, their emotions are changing, and that's a subject which is like kind of taboo. We're not really allowed to talk about this. We kind of, you know, obliquely hint at things, but don't, you know, we don't really talk about it because to talk about such topics or maybe people are uncomfortable or parents are uncomfortable. That's just one example. There's so many things and, this uh, you know, taboo topics. Oh, we can't talk about them. Why can't we talk about them? I don't know. But now I go out and there's so many things that I, I'm curious about. I'm just curious. I'm not getting it where I grew up. There's only one focus and a lot of people grew up in a place where there's one focus. We can talk about Torah. We can talk about Yiddish Kite. And even that, we can't talk about it when it deals with certain subjects or many, many subjects even.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think this is, this is definitely one of the, the, the dangers of... Of people trying, I, I think this is something that we've also t- touched on many times. That I think that Hashem wants us to be open. Meaning, part of part of breaking us out of breaking us out of you know the ghetto. You know, meaning we survived for two thousand years by being by living in ghettos, and that no longer is something that can happen. It's already been happening for a while, but we're learning that we need to ask all these questions. The funny thing is, is that. The way that I always understood Yiddishkeit was that we could ask questions and was that we can challenge and we can ask. And if something's curious to you and something's different, bring up the questions, bring up the subject. Let's talk about it. Let's bring it up. You know, let's thresh it out. And and I do agree. Yeah, definitely. We grew up in a very special home in that way that we were able to bring up all sorts of questions but I felt like Yiddishkeit was that. And, and I always, you know, heard like, Oh, well, that was one of the big differences between Judaism and other things is that in Judaism, we're always questioning, we're always questioning, you know, where, you know, where'd you get that from? Oh, you have a, an idea or something like where'd that come from? Where is it? Where'd you develop it from? It has to come from somewhere. It has to have some more substance. Whereas I think that all, I think that some of the sheltering is not necessarily a question of, and that's why I'm, I kind of, am trying to, thresh this out like in that video i think many of those people were not even open to the more open to the question which maybe isn't even conscious but the question of of how should i live my life and it's not a question of you know right or wrong or or opening up ideas but opening up the fact that wow i thought that there was only one way to live life i was in such a bubble that i thought that this was the only way i didn't even hear like everybody who was outside of this was just wrong and 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 you have to just stay only in these like very, very, very small square boxes. And then they suddenly see, wait, why am I doing this? This me being me being in this box is not hasn't been comfortable for me. I haven't felt okay in it. It hasn't been working for me. And frankly, maybe I'll just live. Maybe I want something else. You hear what I'm saying? I'm not sure.
1: Well, it's definitely there's a lot of things going on people are very complicated you can't pin it all in one thing you know there's so many different factors that go and every single person has different things that drive them but I think overall there's definitely something about to me what 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 hit me was obviously people like you said people want to explore the world and there's a great big world out there and I want to be able to experience different things that I wasn't allowed to experience And some of it's just simply I want to enjoy myself and I'm not enjoying myself over here. And that, yeah, that's for sure. But there's, there's more than that. There's a lot more than that. I think there's a sense of betrayal that you have been hiding these things from me. You were not allowed me to explore these things. You shut me down. And why? I don't know why. And maybe, and and not only that, but like I said before, it strikes me as off when you won't discuss things with me or you're hiding all these things from me. It it kind of says to me that what, you know, you're insecure in your religion, you're insecure in your way of life because if you were so secure about it and you were so, and this is really the best thing, and this is really the truth. So then why are you afraid of of, of everything else? Why are you so afraid of it? Why are you afraid to discuss all these different topics and subjects and ideas and, uh,
0: and do you think that's such that's such a widespread issue that everybody's is afraid to discuss topics?
1: Yes, certainly. And we grew up in an atypical Haredi home. I mean, you wouldn't I mean Haredi is a very Israeli term. In America, it's like we grew up in a we grew up in an atypical yeshivish home where we were open and allowed to read and learn different things, all kinds of topics. Uh, you know, our father's very curious. He's always studying different things and always sharing different ideas and insights and different things. And we were allowed to ask and encouraged to ask. And I never heard from, we never heard from our parents like, oh, we're not allowed to talk about that. Never. Whereas I have a lot of friends who were shut down over and over again. And I went to yeshivas where we were shut down. I mean, I have have experiences where I, I was a very questioning kid. And I'd get into trouble for doing different things. And they never had even the most basic normal answer. I mean, just, I'll give you a few stupid examples. Um, I was 15 or 16 in Yeshiva and Thursday night we'd stay up late and, uh, and learn. We had, we, we, normally we had curfew every night. We had to be in bed by, I think 11 o'clock. Thursday night, as long as you're staying up late and learning, you get past curfew. So now, of course, Thursday night, we'd stay up late, sit in the base medrash, usually learn, shmooze, whatever. And then once it got late enough that the dorm counselor is asleep and, uh, and the meshkiach was gone home, so we're free. So we could sneak out and go buy beers and go drink them. So we used to do that, like, every Thursday night. And then one week we just did it too early because we didn't want to wait around too late. So we went a little earlier and we got busted by the Meshkiev drinking beers, okay? So the next day I got a whole schmooze from my Rebbe about how the world is not a Hefkevelt and you can't just do what you want. And I was like 15, I, was like, I said, what's the big deal Rebbe? I don't understand. Uh, all I did was we, we, you know, we were learning and then we just were relaxing. We didn't, we didn't do anything wrong. He could have said simply, you're underage. And we're responsible for you. And you're not allowed to drink beer because you're underage. But he didn't give me that answer. He, just, he went on a spiel about how it's pastish for yeshiva bachor. And uh, it's not a hefkevelt and all these things that didn't make any sense to me. So I was like, okay, I don't know what you're talking about. There was like just complete, you know, this is not okay. I don't really know why, but it's not okay. That was one thing. A, a different time, I used to schmooze with um, a security guard who was, uh, there was a construction site across the street from Yeshiva. And I would go schmooze with the security guard at the construction site. He'd come to the gate and we'd talk. He was an older guy, a black guy, a Vietnam vet. And he was really interesting. We both liked heavy metal. So we used to trade tapes. I used to, I remember giving him my mid bar, remember mid bar? So I gave him mid bar to listen to and he, you know, and he liked it, it was fun. And we would schmooze, he would tell me stories and he was a good guy. And one night, I, the, the dorm counselor got me in trouble for talking to him. He comes over. He says, oh, I see you talking to the shivarts over there. Don't talk to him anymore. I said, what's the issue? You shouldn't talk to him. I said, would you like to come meet him? He's a, he's a really good guy. I'll introduce you. You'll see. He's a nice guy. We just, you know, I'm just friendly. I talk to people. No, you shouldn't talk to him. I'll tell your Rebbe about it. I said, tell my Rebbe. But I said, is this, is this a racial issue? No, just don't talk to him. Anyway, the next day, I'm in the of Medrash learning, and my rebbe comes over me and says, oh, I hear you talking to the Shavarta security guard across the street. I said, yes. What's the problem? Well, you shouldn't talk to him anymore. Why not? Eh, Pass this, yeshiva guy. this and that. Like, there was nothing. So I didn't, I don't take, I don't take that for an answer. I said, what is the issue? You don't talk to the Shal issue because I, I don't understand what you want from me. I'll I'll introduce you to him and you'll see he's a normal guy. Anyway, he lost it. And he starts yelling at me in the middle of his medrash. Could anything good come out of it? No. Could anything bad come out of it? Yes. Don't talk to him. And like, I think that was the moment that I just kind of lost all respect for this guy because I don't know what he's going on about. Um, But it was just like, there's no answer. There's no response. There's no nothing. It's just... I know, he knew in his gut that this is not a good thing. He felt like my 15-year-old Bachar was sitting and learning Torah and Shiva. I can't see anything good coming out of him talking to that shvarts over there. But he couldn't explain it to me in any way. And I, I had many stories like this over and over again where they would just say, this is not right for you to do. I don't really know why but this is not good for you. There's some fear of of what's something that's outside of our little circle. If it's outside of our little world, it's not good for you. I don't know why. I'm not really sure. I can't explain it. I definitely can't explain it to a 16 year old. Maybe now he could explain it to me. Maybe now even I could come up with great reasons of, you know, I could play devil's advocate and come with great reasons why, why he thought it wasn't no good for me, but he couldn't explain it to me. And this happened so many times over my yeshiva career. When Rebaim would like tell me, no, don't do this. Don't go there. Don't do that. Why? We weren't allowed to go to 7-Eleven. You know what the Meshkiach told me? Because 7-Eleven is a convenience store and Yiddishkeit is not about convenience. We we're looking at me like, are you out of your mind? Like, really? This is what you're telling me. Like, you don't even understand yourself the reasons for the things you do and you're trying to convince me why I shouldn't do it. So, I, and I feel like there's a lot of that going on in the, in, the Jewish, uh, in the Jewish yeshivish and Haredi community. If it's outside of our system, it's dangerous. We don't know what's gonna happen. We don't know how to control it.
0: Wow. I, and you I, I should know, I, I agree. First of all, thank you for sharing those things. That was awesome. And, and I think that those are, like I, I had a different, different experiences that spun me in my uh, in my direction and I'm happy to share them with you also if you're interested but but, but they're, it's interesting that I, and I agree with you and I think that these are our key and important aspects like yeah like I think that that, that people need to be treated in a healthy way I'll, you know in the introduction to the Chavisat almidim, the piyasat narabi he he has a very it's an amazing introduction. You know that I've, I've been a major proponent of it for, for many years. I remember when I read it. I remember being in, in school and being told, you know, you guys are kids of the 90s and, and you know, the world was never like this. And when, I was, when we were kids, things were never like this, the yada, 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 the whole, you know, the whole schmooze.
1: Right. You know what you had to do to get into yeshiva? When I were in the last generation, you had to know all three babas by heart.
0: <laughs> right. Give me a break. And and then seeing and then when I read the introduction to the Chavis of Talmidim and seeing him talking about things that were were struggles that I was having and that kids my generation were having, and that and he was talking about it in pre-war Europe, um, yeshivas losing kids, you know, him him yet being upset at at rashi yeshivas and saying you guys are not like tuned into the fact that you're dealing with children that are not responding. And they're like, what do you mean? All of our kids are doing great. And he's like, yeah, but look, as soon as they step out of the four walls, as soon as they step out of your square, they're they're like, they're not Shomer Shabbos. They're not keeping mitzvot. They're not alive and connected. And I think that one of the things, one of the key elements is that many educators are not treating the kids in a, with, a, with a maturity, meaning recognizing that you're dealing with a human being when you look at a child, and this is one of the, the key elements that he brought up over there, which is when you're looking at a child, don't look at him as a child, right? When 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 they when your Rebbe was trying to answer you, maybe he had good answers, maybe he didn't. Maybe he never asked the questions himself, maybe he didn't explore that. And that could be that's an issue in and of itself. But even people that like like you said, you there are some good answers that maybe you can express why. A kid should or shouldn't go to 7-Eleven at different points in time. But they weren't communicating that to you because they didn't respect you. They didn't treat you as an individual. They didn't see, oh, look, this is this is a boy who's now age 8, 12, 16, 20. And he's going to be a mature adult that needs to be communicated to. And and could be it's because for uh, maybe a very long period of time, People were just able to just be in a little box and they never got exposed to anything more than that. So they never had to answer, uh, you know, like the idea of, you know, know what to answer to who? So, you know, know what to answer. No, but like know how to talk to yourself, know, be able to ask the questions yourself and be able to answer them. And I think that that's a really, really, really important thing of being able to look at a young child, even as young as five or six years old and saying this is going to be a a big person in a, in a different arena. But they say from the briskers that the briskers wouldn't, wouldn't bother educating their kids on things that they would grow out of. Like, like they said that in, I don't know whose house it was, but he was, they, the, the, the kids were like jumping all over the table and they just ignored it, but they walked outside and the kid ran across like where the neighbor was planting like plants or flowers. And the, the man went, the, the the It was one of the big briskers, Rabbeim, and imamish lost it on the kid. And they looked at him and said, in your house on your Shabbos table, you have no problem with the kid jumping around, being wild, but over here? And he said, yeah, because when he gets older, he's going to grow out of step, putting his feet up on the table, you know, being wild and learning to respect. He goes, but stepping on people's flower beds, if I don't teach him now, he's never going to learn it. That idea of being able to look and see, see an end picture, see, okay, I, kids are growing up, How do I want to raise them and not raise them that I'm making them into something? This is the other Kaleman, not me making them into something, but recognizing there is a human being here. How do I relate to him? If he has questions, he needs to be answered. If he has, um, you know, interests, they need to be, you know, how do you say it? like given room to grow and flourish. If he's that's curious, true. like, you know, like, like you, you don't, you don't make a seed into a plant. You just give it the sunlight and you water it and you give it the opportunity to grow and flourish. And, but it's going to grow itself. And, the, and that's the ps Setson. He has these beautiful words. <laughs> like when you're dealing with a kid, you're not making him into something. These are bam. And, and many times a system thinks that we're making somebody into something and we're making them be this. And like, no, let me be me. Help me. Help me grow. Um,
1: right. Well, they're afraid of I have to uproot those roots that are coming out the weeds. We have to pull them out of the Kerem, Kerem Yisrael. We have to. Oh, that kid, is he asking those questions? We have to stamp it out because, you know, we never know where those questions are going to lead. Stamp it out.
0: Right. Oh, and, I, no, and I think dude. it comes it comes from maybe an essential distrust. And I think this is really, like you mentioned this earlier, there's a certain space of I don't trust. I don't trust the kid. And maybe I don't even trust the Yiddish kite that I know because I'm scared that it's going to get undone. Like if you really trust, if like if you really know that you have if you're playing poker and you know, you got the nuts, right? You got, you got the hand and you know how to play and you're looking at the board and you know that you have the best hand on the board. You have no problem with anybody trying to outbid you. You have no problem with anybody raising the stakes because you're like, you know, bring it on. As a matter of fact, you're gonna you're gonna want them to ask the question. You're gonna be like, you want you don't want to be the one to raise the bid. You want to get the kid to be the one to ask the hardest questions because you because you know you got the answers. And even if you don't have the answer, but you know that you have that you, you can trust these cards, you can trust this hand, and it's it's rock solid. And and even if maybe I'm not perfect, but I can trust and I know what's going on here. And I and I'm growing and we're working within a system which is Emma's. And I think that that maybe is a lot of it.
1: Not only that, but there's another thing that when, you, when you're solid in who you are and your belief system, you might not have all the answers for everything. And that's okay, because we don't know everything. The Torah is big. Life is big. There's a lot of complicated situations and questions and all kinds of things. And there's a lot of contradictions on the surface of so the Gemara, the whole Gemara is about contradictions. Sometimes the Gemara says, "teku," like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But if you're confident in your way of life and you're confident in your Yiddishkeit, so then that you should also be able to turn to a kid and say, that is a great question. I don't know the answer. But you know what? Maybe we can try to explore it. Maybe we could try to figure it out. Maybe we could try to talk it out. That's something that I feel like our father did to us. He would say, yeah, I don't know, but let's think about that. But in yeshiva, they're scared to say, I don't know. At least in the yeshivas that I went to, they were always afraid to say, I don't know. And I knew you can't fool a kid. As Peter, Tosh say, as Peter Tosh says, you can't fool the youth. You can't fool the youth. Right. You can't because kids are so sensitive. They could sense like this guy's full of it. He's So full of it. A convenience store. Really, I could go to any other store in this neighborhood, but not 7-Eleven. Like convenient like really.
0: Right. It's also It also you have a microwave like, in your house, Rebbe? Exactly. <laughs> it, it, that's it. That's it. You give these it, it, sometimes people give these these flimsy answers that they themselves are not living by. And it's like, I see the, the 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 contradictory experience coming out of you right there. And the truth is that we all live a certain level of contradiction, right? Because we're all hopefully striving to be better people, but we all have our, our, our lower places and, and the fact that we all fall in some areas. And that is also something I feel that 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 it's like when they're trying to give an answer or you're trying to teach a kid and trying to you know teach a next generation, you're giving them answers that aren't encompassing the fact that you're also a human being. Like if 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 somebody would turn to me and say I'm I'm imperfect and that's okay. And you're imperfect also, like, we can work with that. And but these are the virtues that we're striving for, right? Like, you know, I, like JP, um, Jordan Peterson has, you know, they asked him, he said, what's of your 12 rules for life? Which one is the hardest for you? And he said, the rule about always speaking the truth. And in his rule, by the way, it's called always speak the truth. And if you can't uh, do your best to be as close to it as possible, I forgot exactly the, the Lushen. But that idea of no,
1: speak the truth, always speak the truth. At least don't tell a lie.
0: Or at least don't tell a lie. So he, so he, so when they asked him, he oh, said that was the hardest one for him because it's it's really it is really hard to always be one hundred percent truthful. Not because we're actually telling brutal lies, but because to always be open and fresh, right? Let's say you have you have an educator, and an educator is trying to. Give something over. Many times they'll put it in a box so that they can give it over. The problem is, is that if you you limit yourself to the box, then you've cut yourself off from growth, from next level, from becoming something better than you are, from being open to new ideas, from from being able to ask the question yourself. You know, when when if you're trying to share something and you have an answer, the nature of an answer sometimes holds back the question. And sometimes we need to be able to sit with the question and really struggle with the question. I was talking to my son the other night and and we were, having, we were talking and it was an interesting conversation. And I told him, I said, you know, also he's becoming bar mitzvah soon, right? We both have sons that are becoming bar mitzvah soon. And it's, so there's a lot of these interesting conversations that it's a good age, you know. They start having, you know, some of these deeper questions, and you could sometimes explore onto deeper things. And this is an age, you know, already hitting the preteens, and then getting into the teenage years. These are like these are the, you know, really juicy questions. And I remember, so I shared with him how there was a wise man. Well, I didn't say who it was, and I'll tell. I'll, I'll tell. I won't tell it to you until after I say it because sometimes we get things into a box. But this really wise man once said that Torah and the Sfarim were always there as an answer to the greatest questions of human existence. And people that were struggling with life, they would open up a caduceus Levi and they would drink it and it would be like, oh, you know, you open up a Baal Shemtev, people that were struggling with human existence and the, the, the questions of life, the contradictions, the, the ups and downs, even the seemingly struggling with, you know, living in, in Europe or, or living in any, any point of history when you're dealing with those questions and then you'd open up a book and it would be a solve, It would be a healing rejuvenation. It would take you out of your, your, your struggle and it would give you some light. He said, today, we're just, people are just shoving it into their mouths and it's like people are like, ugh, I don't want it. Like, stop shoving it into my face. And um, so I expressed to him, I was like, this is like the bracha shahakal. Right, Like water, if you're not thirsty and if you don't really want it, then you're not making a brach on it because it's not giving you anything. It's only when you really want it. And, and and many educators, like there are certain educators that I feel were always questioning. Were always like Rebelio Kitov. If you read the books of Rebelio Kitov, the feeling that I always got from him was that he was a teacher par excellence but he was also you you felt the the freshness of him being open and hearing like what what is the next question this is the answer but what's the next question where is this journey taking us what does it really mean and and even many times hearing his answers and hearing his stories and hearing his expressions then open up the next question which is well what's next you know what, what's really going on? Why am I living this way? Why did Hashem put me in this place? And we don't have all the answers. It's very clear. My other son tried, he was telling me, he was like, he's like, you know, uh, I heard the reason why we live, you know, why we have hardships in our life. I was like, really? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know why. So then he starts explaining to me and he, he gave some good things. I said, ah, so what you're saying is that even when we go through hard times, hard times can teach us amazing lessons. So he said, yeah, I was like, but that doesn't mean that we understand really why we're having the hard times. There's things that we can learn from hard times, but we really don't know the answer. Frankly, there are some things that we're going to bump into life, into in life that are so painful that we have to be able to say, I don't know. And trying to to know the answer is, is it, it, you know, it insults the intellect intellectual capabilities of the person that you're talking to and yourself.
1: That's right. And it makes people distrust you. Yeah. I mean, I remember there was a Calvin and Hobbes strip once Calvin's doing homework with Hobbes and, uh, and he goes, I don't know the answer to this one. Hobbes goes, well, you know, that's, that's the right answer. It's true. Isn't it? You don't know. And Calvin goes, great. Oh, I'll answer all of them. They're all true. He just writes, I don't know, for all of his answers. It was such a gaviled point that he was bringing out. You know, yeah. sometimes it's just more honest to say, I, I don't know. Right. And making up some.
0: Some hogwash. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, you know, for me, I think that my struggles um, with the system were a little bit different. I think that for me. They were more less of being answered. I feel like I did have people that were answering a lot of the questions. And I didn't feel being held back in that way. Maybe I wasn't as curious or inquisitive or reading uh, not half as much as you did.
1: I saying, but, just to be clear, it wasn't necessarily that I wasn't getting answers. It was that there was no respect for the questions.
0: Right. I hear that. So I think that for me, there was a part of it that was I didn't feel that I was respected as a person. Um, you know, the Pia says, he's like, he's like, oh, you know, kids, young kids, like they feel like they understand everything at age five already. And that's what, you know, chutzpah at the end of time, we understand it. And he said, on the one hand, it's a challenge, but it's a reality that you have to learn to deal with. Like, you're right, maybe 2,000 years ago, kids didn't have that ego at age five. But these days, already at age five, that's the way kids are. But on the other hand, there's also a wonderful benefit from it that kids are already asking questions and they're questioning realities. And that's a wonderful opportunity. That's a teachable moment, right? Mm -hmm. It's like when your kids are asking, why do we do this? And I didn't feel that I was. I guess maybe it is very similar. I didn't feel like I was being respected in that way, Um, you know, being told you just need to adhere to a system of laws that you don't agree with. And the system of laws was not Torah and Mitzvos, Cause I got that. I was got like Hashem told me to do it. I'll do it. But why do I have to wear your style of hat and your style of shirt and your style of clothes that you're making me wear? Like, I don't get that. And it was like, no. And then not only that, but that became even more important than, you know, than, than the actual yeah. Torah that Hashem gave us. Like all of a sudden, like being yeshivish, or being, you know, like some man-made-up thing is more important than the original set of rules. You know, like, it's like, let's go back to the Constitution. (laughs) What does the Constitution say? That's really, because that's really what I'm buying into. That's what I'm bought into. That's what I was born into. And I'm fine with that. And I'm fine with not understanding a lot of it. And that really got me. Um, And I, you know, I was, I went head-to-head with some people about that.
1: Oh, I'm hundred percent with you. I had the same thing as well. I remember coming uh, into ninth grade, um, and it was like such s- such an issue that you had to fit in. You had to fit in right and look right. And and I look around. You know, I was inquisitive, and I'd Afka, like I remember I got this jacket from Bensie. I was like, I'm not wearing a black jacket. That's not happening. Like, why? So I got what this, color was it? Green, it was like a checked brown jacket, like uh, a plaid, check- like a plaid brown jacket. It was really cool. I got it from Betsy. Must have worn it in Adelphia. And I used to wear that jacket, and I never really got in trouble f- for it. But like,
0: right. it was an it was, issue. It was because you were it sticking like, it to them.
1: Because, exactly. It,
0: as opposed to as opposed to looking at it, like if you see a kid doing that, like if I was an educator and I saw a kid doing that, I would embrace it. It'd be like. You clearly are trying to make say something. You clearly have some, have some spunk that you're trying to, to like show. You have some character. Let's w- what's going on with this kid, you know? Like, let's explore it. What ninth oh, no. grader
1: they were afraid actually. I, I, maybe I didn't wear that in ninth grade. I think ninth grade had a nice blue jacket, maybe it was only 10th grade. <laughs> it was after, like, I remember first going in there because when I first got in, I remember being like, I don't understand what's going on here. There's something off. For some reason, certain things are very important in this system. I was in a whole new system. It's a new school, a new high school. I just came out of eighth grade. Something's very important here and I don't understand why. Like, I I was a good kid, like a really good kid. Very, a little bit naive. A little bit, you know, it was very simple. Ishtam, I was Yaakov Ishtam. Like, I was not anything like I am now. (laughs) I was a simple kid. I like to learn. And I'm good. I was a very good kid. I didn't make trouble. But suddenly, I'm looking around, and certain things are important. My friends are all talking in a certain way now. They're all acting a certain way with this, the guys who got into the whole yeshiva. Sh-tick. And I just didn't understand it. Like, what? why is this important? I remember even in the yeshiva, there was, like, like the top guy in yeshiva. He's, like, he was, uh, he had this hat that was so old it was turning green already and I didn't understand I remember asking like what what is the deal he can't wear like a, even like a nice hat it's got to be like turning green like and like the more the more greasy you are and the more like eh, the somehow that's better I, I didn't understand it
0: yeah I, there's you know there's a, a term somebody recently introduced to me and and it shocked me. I feel like it's one of those things that I mamish want to like rip and cry on Tish above. About you ever hear this term called a tzul?
1: I've heard. I've heard it. It's like an Israeli term, right? It's an Israeli
0: term. It's a it, and it's Sadi Vav You know what it stands for? Well, first let me explain to you what a tzul is. A tzul is the guy who's like mamish the most, like faklemt, and will like. Like, you know, his clothes are like super raggedy shoes, like, you know, like have a mouth of their own on the other end, you know, like and their are is like and he's like mom like so it's and everything's bad. But he's mom still learning Torah, you know, like not even necessarily learning Torah. He's just whatever doing it because it stands for Tzadik Veraloy to be a Tzul is like a Zach that people put on a pedestal. And I momish, it broke me. On I was like, are you? The, like, like a good like, thing Like it's a good thing to be a tzul Like that's mamish what it is Like you want to be mamish Tzadik virali Like uh, you should be like so holy Like the more that you can have stuff to complain about The more like uh, is That's it complaining what it's about that
1: Or it's just more you're disconnected from this world Like you have no gashmias
0: So I think that maybe on one level that would be uh, that. See that I could, I could hear It's the idea of like an ascetic You know a parosh But there's a word for it It's called a parosh Somebody who's parished from all things of Eilam Haza, and even over there, there's a big right that we know the classics. That awesome story with the uh, Rupshitzer,
1: right? With the. But one second, hold on a second. soul is a, a term of, um, like a, a, a positive term or a negative term.
0: They like it. Like in some circles, it's considered a positive thing. To be like, so like, such a nabuch, but like. Like, cause, cause that shows like how much you're mamish, like uh, uh, you're such a a yeshivish guy. You're so yeshivish guy that you're not like wearing a, a,
1: a uh, nice shirt.
0: Mamish. And I'll tell you, like on one level, I I hear that there's there's something to being an ascetic, and there, but there's very 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 few people that that's the path. No, and it's and, only after you hit a whole bunch of other things. Yeah, first. that's what I'm saying. It, it's got to be something that your momish like on, on on another on another place. But for 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 most people to and to raise kids, looking up to that type of thing, it just momish made me like ah. It gave me I I I wanted to cry. Like that's not what you, you know Yiddish guy... What happened to where's the glory, the glory, you know, like to, to see somebody who, let's say a tzaddik, I'll give you an example. I saw a video. I believe it was rab Aaron Leib Steinman benching. Okay. And that was awesome. He's sitting. It's, it's like a little video of you see him sitting in his kitchen and there, it, there's really almost nothing there. It's very simple, but it's clean. It's put together and he's just benching and he just, he looks like he has everything. He's not haser, lo haser lo klum ba'olam. Why? I don't know. He just must have eaten like, just like, you know, maybe a piece of bread and an egg. And he's, Vina levana. Vina levana. And he's just saying, he's benching. And you just see that when he's mom, he's sitting there. And he's like, I am so happy with my life. I'm so content. I'm so filled. What greater thing in the world is there that I could be? I, I have, I have a home and I live in Eretz Yisrael. I learned Torah and I just ate lunch. And I'm gonna, and you see his benching is just it's it's a true, it's like you I I don't know. When I looked at it, I was like, that's what I want. That's what I want for my life. I want to be happy with what I have to such an extent that just be able to make a say benching and feel shalem. And as opposed to like, you know, trying to be like, oh, life is so hard, it's fair to be a yid and it's so bad, and everything's so hard, and every you know. And even though, listen, I have my moments, I definitely do that. I'm a moody dude. But, you know, sometimes I get like, oh, man, I'm having such a hard day. But at least I know that that's not an ideal.
1: Yeah, that was part of it. That was this thing. It's this culture of like uh, certain things which were ancillary to Yiddishkeit had become more important than the actual Jewish values itself. Very, very bizarre. And, and coming from a house to where like important things were important and other things were less, I mean, look, Abba still wanted me to wear my hat and jacket for for benching, but that you know that's a halacha. Fine, I get it. But in yeshiva, it became a thing. Like it was more important than anything else. My jacket I left by the basketball court one day and it got soaked. It got rained on. It got soaked. So I came in and I didn't have a jacket to wear by mincha. So what am I going to do? Not that mincha. I got in such trouble for it. And I was like, my jacket is soaked. Like, put it on anyway. I'm like, it's soaking wet. I just, I'm sorry, I left it by the basketball court by mistake. I'm you, sorry. Uh,
0: luckily, you probably can't put it on.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah. Whatever. It wasn't even it. It was just. These were the things that. Well... Oh.
0: Yeah. Anyhow, seeing that video definitely. Uh brought up a lot of these things and a lot of this. And it's really sad. Like, I really feel like I would love to be able to sit and schmooze with with people and be able to talk to them and be able to open up the questions. You know, what is what is I feel like that's a lot of why I, I, you know, I I wanted to start this podcast is to be able to have a lot of the conversations that weren't very comfortable. And obviously, there's still, you know, there's there's still a, a healthy understanding of when and where to have what conversation you know, but every conversation has its place. Question is, is, what making sure that you have it, making sure that you have a, a space in your life that you can have it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to speak out everything in every situation. True. But, and, and Adaraba, like I, so I have an issue with that as well.
1: Yeah. Well, but I- when it comes up, it's so exciting. Like I, for me, with my kids, when, <clears throat> if I'm learning with them and something really juicy comes up, I relish that moment and if they don't notice it and they don't bring it out, I, I like, I'll poke until until it comes out. You know, if my kids bring up topics at the, at the, at the table, you know, if it's a controversial one and interesting, I, I, it's great. Here's a moment. Let's talk about it. Let's get involved. And, uh, I I run towards those things and I don't run away from them. Yeah. And I'm not afraid to say, I don't know. Because you just got to be honest. It's the only way. Because I really do believe. I really do believe that being a Torah Jew and Yiddishkeit, I believe it's the truth. I believe it's real. I believe it's, in the long run, the best thing. The best thing that ever happened to me. And the best thing that could ever happen to anybody. So then why would I be afraid to bring up anything or discuss anything? Like, Why? Let's bring it on. Let's talk. My kids are like, Abba, enough. You know, you've you gone too far. <laughs> I'm like, nah, no, no. Oh, why can't we talk about this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Mama's gewalt.
1: I'm saying, but look, there's other reasons also. When you talk about kids, I mean talk about kids I mean, there's a lot of other things besides this is this is you know maybe the most surface reasons is you know unfortunately people go through a lot of other things there's people that are just emotionally unhealthy emotionally unwell and and that it gets expressed through their yiddish guide it doesn't it's not necessarily but for a kid they don't know how to separate that you know it, it's It's not like, oh, Yiddishkeit's cool, but my parents are unhealthy. It's like, no, my parents' whole thing is Yiddishkeit. That's all they do. That's all they talk about. So it must be Yiddishkeit, which is unwell.
0: Right. And they say, you know, don't judge Judaism by the Jews. That was definitely a lesson that I had to learn, which was also, you know, like when you bump in, like the fact that I bumped into some people that I felt were way, way off, got it seriously twisted. And that kind of threw me off, not even like not wanting to be. Jewish like I don't want to be Jewish if, if this is what Jewish is then I don't want to be this right and, yep. and especially when it comes from people that are that, that claim that like I am the real Jew and anybody who's not like me is not even Jewish you know you're like explain right. me? like you you're, you're claiming that like you're so twisted in your in your whole life is so twisted up and you're going to claim that you mamas have the you're the real McCoy then I definitely don't want to be have anything to do with this. And that's something that as we grow up, hopefully we're able to learn to separate, you know, the real yep. thing from, from it and also the real ideas. Hopefully.
1: Can we, can we take a break for a minute?
0: Yeah. Thanks.
1: All right, we're back. Um, I just want to say, just to finish off this conversation, is that in that yeshiva, where I had all these Rebbe's that didn't have answers. And, uh, and half of my class was like on the verge of, and many did leave religion and leave Yiddishkeit at least for a few years. But there was, one, there was one person who stood up and said, you know what's going, I see what's going on here. And so when we were in 12th grade, he invited us to his house once a week and we'd go to his house. He was an older guy, a Rebbe Yeshiva. And he listened to us. And he talked to us straight. It was like finally a breath of fresh air. He mamish, in a big way, saved me from a lot of things. I, you know, I, uh, I never, I never went off. I was never Michal Shabbos. I never did all those things. I had a ton of friends who did. Um, but here was one guy who mamish said, "I'll talk to you about anything, whatever it is." And he respected us, and he valued us, and he cared about us. He made us feel like we we're somebody, and. Uh, and we saw the difference; completely changed our my last year in high school.
0: Wow, that's beautiful. I, I can I can say that as well. I had that. I had I had Rabbeim that were also very tapped in <clears throat> people in my life that were very tapped in, and I think that as we were talking before, I was thinking one of the one of the points that I think is also a really key element. We spoke about trust and and believing in the life that we're living, right? Trust in Yiddishkeit, trust in Hashem, trust in the Torah. That if you know that it's the right thing, if you know it's real, then you can question it and you can do a beer on it, even if it means that you're going to bump into some things that maybe are funky about it. And you can realize, mm, where did this come in? How did this come into the system? You know, uh, I think one of the questions that a lot of people have: kidneys. You know, where did it come into the system? So question it. Let's curious. You know, let let's be curious about it. I think the other thing that is really requires a certain belief in is the is in human beings i feel that many times when teachers or maybe in my own life i felt that people when i was being told that i was doing something wrong they were basically saying you are just one big wrong you are one big mistake you're not a good person and and but if you do what i tell you to do then you'll become something worthwhile you know,
1: and oh, it's, man, I got that. Also. And, oh. and I
0: think that, that 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 is a really it's a really tough thing to to be told. And and I think it comes from maybe, maybe many people, maybe, maybe even many educators themselves don't feel good about who they are, but rather it's this ego that they've become part of this collective ego of being part of a Jew or yeshivish or something that is. Outside of me, that makes me who I am. Now, being a Jew is an amazing thing, and I'm I, I thank Hashem all the time. You know, I even was telling my okay. our sister uh, earlier this week that that I was like, we should just stop and and be thankful that we are Jewish. I'm so happy to be a yid, right? We 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 had a Thanksgiving party last Thursday, right? That Thanksgiving party was so amazing it was mamish one of the most amazing sudas that i've had in a long time right you were there such heretics (laughs) it was amazing and and i was like how could i pass up on a thanksgiving suda why because a year never passes up a chance to say thank you what do you mean you can say thank you all the time and we do I'm so happy to say thank, thank you on a random day. I'm so appreciative to be a Yid, but I'm appreciative to be me. I'm appreciative to have my story. And, I, and it took a time to learn to be able to stop and look at each one of our children, and each one of the people that we bump into in the street and look at every person and be like, wow, you are a gift to the world. And you are beautiful and you're amazing. I want to get to know you because you have something. Every person has something and that something is not because you're part, you're, you know, you're a fan of the Knicks or a fan of like we were talking last week, a fan of of a sports club. Like that's just an ego being being a member of a certain you know, type of Judaism or a certain religious group doesn't make you better than anybody else. And that's and if that's your identity, if your identity is the, if the totality of your identity is that I am part of something else and I really am nothing, then gewalt. That that sucks. But if you are something and your identity and, and the group that you're part of helps to reaffirm and help you to live the values that you want. That's beautiful. Like, yeah, you need to be part of as a human being, you need to be part of a community and you need to be part of a, a, a social group, a social club. Like, I, I believe in that. Like, you want to be a member of a chabura. You want to be the member of a shul. You want to be the member of a family. But that's not your it's not your essence. And when we look at ourselves and when we look at our friends, I think we really need to see that. And when a teacher looks at a kid, he really needs to see that. He really needs to see you're a diamond. You're beautiful. You're wanted. And it's my role here is to help give you opportunities to grow and to give you opportunities to flourish and to give you opportunities to shine what's going on inside of you and to give you vessels. I, I, I told my, my, my son, I was like, the reason why I want you to learn math and I want you to learn English and I want you to learn all these different things is because I want you to be powerful. That if you if you if you grow up in this world and you know you can speak and read and write in multi multiple languages, that means that you now have vessels to affect and to relate to more people in the world. That means that you are a more powerful you individual. All the things that you're going to learn in school, that as you get your education, that becomes a leverage that you now can leverage yourself into the world to that more of you can affect the world. If you grow up in this world and you don't know how to turn on a computer, then you can't give a Yomi share online. But if you do, and if you know how to communicate with people, and the more that you learn, the more powerful you become. And I want my children and I want people to become powerful, be able to actually make radical change and good change and do good things in the world. And therefore, I want to put people in position where they can do that and imagine if every if educators looked at kids like that and they saw them they said, wow you know you you, you are going to be the leaders of the next generation how are we going to put you in position for to succeed
1: yeah i i definitely i have a lot of hope because i feel like there are a lot more educators there are a lot more people like that nowadays definitely more than more than when i was a kid i mean i laughed in the middle you were talking and i started laughing because I remember an experience which was the exact opposite of what you're saying. In that same yeshiva, the beginning of 12th grade, when I was called into the Rosh shiva's office, and the Rosh shiva, he was a real snob. He wouldn't even look at you or talk to you if you, weren't, if you were in the high school, like you didn't exist. Unless like you had a really good question in the Gemara, then like you were allowed to go up to him and ask him, but you were afraid, because if it wasn't on the level, like you would just get pff, shoot aside, like, eh, it's not a question. So he was a real bleep. Anyway, I get called. This is the first time I'm talking to him. I get called into his office at the beginning of 12th grade. And he tells me, you know, race, you're a waste. You are a waste. I was like, I'm not a waste. What the heck is wrong with this guy? You're a waste. And I don't like you. I think I'm thinking about kicking you out of my yeshiva. What on earth? What on earth is wrong with this guy? And for years, I still have this thing. Like, I don't understand why this guy had the right to be an educator. He's not an educator. He's a destroyer. And I believe he destroyed many kids because so many kids in my class, real issues afterwards. So upsetting. It's the exact opposite of the way you were describing of how to treat a kid and how to treat a person that you want to grow. Like, so many things he could have said to me. Like, you know, you're so talented. I really want to help you bring out the best. Instead, it was, you are a waste, and I don't like you, and I'm thinking about kicking you out of yeshiva. What is wrong with this guy?
0: <laughs> it's oh. unbelievable. It really is. It really is. I think, you know, we were saying this the other day. We, we learned that this piece from the shla about how the tzaddik is called kol, Right, remember we said, and so the Midah of Yesod, which is called Tzaddik, is that the Tzaddik is the one who can Mamish connect everything and he sees value in every single place. That no matter how low you go, when you go to a real Tzaddik, a Tzaddik looks at you, and when he you feel when he looks at you that you Mamish all the he sees all the good in you, he sees all everything that's right in you, he sees how you fit into all of existence, he sees. Just like and you, and you feel amazing, because when somebody looks at you, this is you know Rabbi Nachman's Torah of Reish Pei Beis, but this is how it is when you go to any of the Karm of the Tzaddikim, right? You go to Reb Shimon Bar you go to Mar Zemach you go to Kever you, you feel like okay, I'm okay, I'm not bad, I fit in, I'm part of something. I, I like you, you feel them the, the, the like you know that's also like beginning of Eretz Yisrael. Hashem is like looking at you and he's going, "You are worthwhile."
1: I just want to push back. Not everybody feels that way. I mean, I'm, I'm really glad that you feel that way, and there's certain times I feel that way, but sometimes not. You,
0: know, you don't feel that way when you go to when you go to
1: Sometimes I do. You know, but sometimes you don't, and it's really? okay. Also, I mean, saying just saying is if you're listening to this and you're going, "Whoa, I totally don't relate to that." Like I get you. Not yeah. everyone relates that, especially. So maybe- especially if you have a self-image, which is raised by, you know, your Rosh shiva telling you you're a waste and your Rebbe mm. telling you, you know, you're really worthless because you're not X, Y, and Z. So when you go to the Ma'ar Samech and you stand in front of the Avice, you just imagine they're going to be saying the same thing. So yeah,
0: yeah.
1: it really has to do with your perception.
0: All right, maybe. I, I, so I'm, I, I, maybe I should put it out there that if people want to go to Kivri Tzaddikim, maybe we should do a Kivri tzadikim trip that, to be able to go because... I don't know. Maybe you just need a good introduction. But the tzaddikim that I go to, the Shimon that I know is so good. He, oh, I feel like I'm realigned. I'm rooted back to my back to my place. Like I'm connected. And yeah, I think that um, maybe, like, like you said, maybe you do need to have the correct introduction to the tzaddik. Um, maybe we need to learn a little bit about what tzaddikim do and what the purpose of them and how they're supposed to see the good in the world and how really we're supposed to all but. Right.
1: We need to be we need to learn about that because we need to be that side for our children and for the people around us. We need yeah. to be that side for our, our wives and our friends. You know, I feel blessed because I have so many friends that look at me and I feel like they're always looking for the good of me. And, um, and we do have that, but not everybody does. And I feel like that's why you have people who t- get turned away because they're being looked at always as never enough, never good enough. Uh, you know, if you ask a question, you shouldn't be asking that. You're always doing something wrong. But it ain't like that, you know. It's, and it's a training. It's, uh, you know, the way we look at things and the way we uh, think about things, it's all, it's habit. Thoughts are habits. You have to train ourselves to look for the good and to look for the right things. And you're right. We have to, we, we do need to learn about, about But like, what do they tell you? how to look, you know, to me, stories, you need to listen to, you need to yes. read stories of Tzaddik and read stories of people who were always looking, read stories of Rebbe Levy Ittuk again and again and again, read those stories, read the stories about the Belshamtov, always looking for the good in, in every person, and that's what we have to do, we have to do that, I if we want... <laughs>
0: Main man. Yeah. I really do.
1: I'm getting a little bit choked up because, you know, part of that, part of that, katava, part of that, uh, uh, that, that piece on TV that I watched was this girl, they're interviewing this girl. She's, she's in her early twenties and, and she's, she's counting how many, how many friends, leviahs how many funerals she's gone to she's like one two six six friends in the last month that killed themselves and she's been to the leviah sorry but if they had people around them they were looking and always telling them what's good about them and how they're good that wouldn't have happened yeah That's why I, that's why I wanted to push back on what you were saying before, because not everybody feels that way. And sometimes there's something you know, I don't feel that way when I go to Kibritz the Deacon. I just feel like I want to get out of there because it's just weird. What am I doing
0: here? Yeah. All right. I mean, yeah. Well, we need to we need to be reintroduced. We need to really meet the tzaddikim, and there are people in the world that are doing it. And yes, there are also a lot of a lot of really, really people doing bad things, and a lot of people that are having issues is because there's been real abuse, and there's been real and people who have suffered greatly. You know, people have really suffered greatly. Love. And also all forms of abuse that's been out there in the communities. And, and we, we do, we need to, we need to see the beauty in, in, in what we have. And we also need to be able to face the pain and be able to fix what's wrong. And, um, it was, uh, you know, um, uh, twisted
1: parenting. You ever watch this stuff? i yeah. off. fish mm-hmm. he's, he's awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. So he was just telling over a story recently about, about there was, um, a kid here in Yerushalayim who uh, was disconnected from his family and his family was making a bar mitzvah. He showed up to his little brother's bar mitzvah, dressed however he was dressed. And his family, they, you know, they took one look at him and said, get out of here. Like you, you can't walk in of the simcha like this. You're embarrassing us and this and that. And he walked out and he, and he went and he killed himself. But on the other hand, he said, it was a different, the, the same situation that uh, Fischhoff, he said he was at he was at different Simcha where the kid walked in, how he was dressed and his parents went over to him and they just gave him hugs and kisses and said, we're so glad you came. We were worried you wouldn't come. We're so happy you're here. We're so happy to see you. They didn't say a word of, uh, didn't say a word, a negative word. And Fischhoff said he was by this wedding. This is a family that he's been working with and helping. And he sat down with the kid and he sat down and schmoozed with him for an hour, just schmoozing. And after an hour, the kid said to him, you know, Maybe I'm not really dressed appropriately for this thing. He's like, no, 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 you're fine. You're fine. Don't worry about it. You're good. He said, no, maybe I'm not. I feel like maybe I'm not dressed appropriately. He's like, I'll be back in a few minutes. And he bounced and he went and he put on like a, a suit or something. I don't know what. And he came back.
0: We need to see the value in people. We need to really see the value in people.
1: Yeah, not get caught up in all this external shtuyot.
0: Yeah, you know, there's there's a vart that they say over. They say it says, you know, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge a man by his money or the strong man by his uh, strength, right? This is how you should praise a man. So I believe it was from Rav Huttner who said, Bezos is halal you should praise a man by what he praises, or you should value a person by how he values others. When you see a person who can look at somebody and not, and, and he, all he values is superficial, then guess what? That's what he is. He's just a superficial Jew. But when you see somebody who's able to look at another and able, able to see the value, even value if it's buried underneath, like Shlomo said, he goes, he goes You know, when, when I, he was once questioned. He was questioned by a bunch of guys in the diamond district. And it's, it's, a, this is a story in Holy Brother. I think you lent it to me. It was one of these stories that like changed my whole life. And they looked at him and they said, like, you know, how do you go? You hug every person and you love them and you momish appreciate them. He goes, if you saw a diamond in the rough, would you, would you judge it, the diamond, based on all the dirt on it or all the nastiness? No, you see a diamond, you value it. He goes, when I see a yidler in the street, I can smell the shabbos that he's going to have in five years. I can smell the the, the soul. I can smell a Jew. I can see a diamond in a second. You, all you see is the chitzniyus gavalt. You know, we need to be able to see people. We need to see the, the the beauty inside of them. You have to smell that neshama through all the through all the the crap. You know, you have to have a real nose, a nose that can mamish refine it. Yeah see like there's such value and when we can look at people we can see that and so many times i know in my own life when you know you you meet somebody but when you know you know that you're gonna like i know that even though right now our whole relationship is just but i can see i can see that you're a human being and that you have layers and i'm sure i i trust and i know that you have a panemius that i just want to hug you i want to i want to raise you up then you and you see people respond. We respond to that. When people look at me and they see the good in me, I shine. When people just yeah. see my 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 negativity, then that's all that that's all that comes out. We need to see that in the world. That's right. You
1: have to have the eyes of God.
0: That's right. Noach matsachin be'ene Elokim Be'ine Hashem Be'ine Hashem. You find you find good in the world if you have godly eyes, mamash. Yep. You gotta know how to how to see, how to listen, how to smell, how to talk, how to touch. Yeah. It's got to be healthy. All right. L'chaim, l'chaim, brother, mamash. We should be blessed and we should be good, and all of you out there, l'chaim. We bless you all to see the good in yourself and to see the good in those around you and hold those close to you the people that 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 look at you your friends that look at you and see the good build that circle strengthen it and use the, those friends to strengthen and be able to look at your own kids and to look at more people and people that that don't just know sometimes you know you also could look at people from the other side of the street and love them from there and build up a build up we need to build up and see things good see the good eyes and be able to look at anybody that we bump into, and just be able to say, "I can see that there's Tov in them. I can see that there's Tov in them. Convince ourselves, you know. Convince yourself. If you're gonna live in any in any mion, <laughs> let let it be this one, you know. Yeah. And and you'll see it. It comes. You'll you'll see it begins to come out. It comes out more and more and more and more. Yeah. It
1: really starts. It really starts though. And 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 you know, people think. You gotta look for the good in other people, it really starts with looking for the good in yourself and really appreciating yourself. You have to start there because if you can't appreciate yourself, then you're not gonna be able to appreciate other people. You need to look and say that I am good. No matter what anyone told me, I am good. I'm a godly person and find the like the most important thing. I mean, said, you have to go with this every day of your life. Always look for the good in yourself. Focus on it. Focus on what good you are, what good you've done, what good you've, you've been. And then we could find it in other people. Mamish, yeah. So important. Yeah. Alright, please God, Hashem should bless us, you and me and all of us, to look for good in ourselves, to be happy with ourselves, to be happy, to be find, you know, find favor with what we have. Like you said, it's such a beautiful Torah, it's such a beautiful thing. Alright, L'chaim, Hashem, we should be uh, Zohar. Amen. Amen.
0: should be healthy, should be good we should always make shahakals on water